The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Happy today or this evening to you, wherever you are. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Show. So happy that you're able to be with us today. Oh my gosh, I had a big weekend. I was at the AR 2015 conference in Washington, D.C., and I have to tell you, those people are so inspiring. These are people who have really devoted their lives to others, and in in this case, primarily others who are not even of our species. I felt like I was invited into a meeting of saints, but I had like a special tag that said, no, this one's not a saint. She's just observing. But, oh, gosh, it was wonderful. So terrific to be there. Got to see uh, Susie Costin and Jean Bauer and Bruce Friedrich from Farm Sanctuary, the wonderful Alex Hershaft, who's been a guest on the show, the founder of Farm Animal Rights Movement, who sponsored the conference Such a wonderful, wonderful event, and if anybody was there who's listening today, yay! So glad to be connecting with you twice in a week. And then I was in Buffalo, New York. Gorgeous, beautiful Buffalo. It is one of the most beautiful cities in this country, and the Veg Fest there was at an absolutely glorious park designed by Law and Olmsted, who also designed Central Park here in New York City. So that was another great day. The travel was a little rough, I have to say. Saturday morning, I got up at 3.45 a.m. That is too early. And the train coming back from Buffalo yesterday was four hours late, and that's too late. But you know what? There is a movement afoot. There's lots to do. 
there's some suffering in the world and we want to end as much of it as we can. And if that means getting up at 345 or whatever we have to do, that's what we'll do. And as part of this wonderful life and wonderful work, we also get such extraordinary perks. Why don't you call in and tell me the best thing for you about being on this enlightened path? You can do that at 888-558-6489. Or if you're outside the continental U.S., call us at 816-347-5519. You can talk with me. You can talk with our wonderful guests. After the first break, I'll be bringing on Sean Monson. You know him from the incredible documentary Earthlings. Well, now he has another one, Unity. Isn't it cool that we're on Unity Online Radio and we're talking about a documentary named Unity? Something's happening in the world. And right now, we're going to be speaking with Carol Simmerant. She is the author of a beautiful new book called The Answer is Vegan. How sweet and simple is that? Carol has been in the health professions for over 40 years. She is a registered nurse with a master's degree in health administration, and she is also a Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. Welcome, Carol. Thank you so much, Victoria. Yeah, I can't believe it was a year ago this month that I was in New York with you getting certified. I can't imagine. I mean, it's just incredible to even believe what's happened in the last year. It's just been wonderful. And I credit a lot of it because I met you. Oh, bless your heart. Well, I was going to ask you about the Academy a little bit later, but since you brought it up, I'll ask you now. What's changed in your life since you came here and did the course? Um, Basically, my whole life. I mean, I um, was vegetarian for many years and then wanted to tip into being vegan and was on that path before I went to New York. But then, you know, coming and meeting you and being in that incredible class and the classmates, it just made it so easy to make that transition where, you know, I was so afraid, oh, I got to, you know, figure out how I'm actually going to live without cheese. And, you know, you showed me how to do that and not, you know, and that one day you brought on all those wonderful tree-lined cheeses. It was amazing. So since then, um, I have kind of pushed, you know, my nursing career on the back burner. I still work a couple of days a month still in the operating room. But I've gone on this whole vegan, um, life-changing, uh, you know, profession. I'm teaching uh, classes at several of the community colleges here in Southern California. I'm in health fairs. I give talks at uh, health uh, stores and yoga studios. It's it's amazing, and it's like you know, it's like what you say, Victoria. If I can, you know, help one person make that step into a vegan lifestyle, then. You know, I'll get up at 3.45 in the morning, like you said, you know, with your buffalo trip. It's it's just amazing. And it, I feel wonderful. That That is so cool. We had um, Nelson Campbell on um, a while back on the show talking about his film, Plant Pure Nation. And, and the tagline for that film is, why didn't we know this before? Why didn't we know about this way of eating? So you were in the medical field for decades Why do you think you had not heard about this before you did? I think it's I I think it's because of um, you know how we're we're developed as at least you know I grew up in the Midwest, so our all of our meal planning was around the meat dish, and then everything else 
you know, centered around that. So first it was, you know, well, what meat are you having? And then the rest of the meal was planned. And that's kind of like how I grew up. But um, most of my profession was in the operating room, and we would see these really, really sick people come in. And, you know, these a lot of them are, you know, just really obese. And they would talk about, you know, the dairy they were eating and the, the meats they were eating. And several of the doctors and I would, you know, talk about this after, you know, we had them to sleep of maybe this could change if we ate differently. And so that's kind of where, you know, the thinking got started with me of, you know, you know, like Hippocrates always said, you know, medicine is, or food is medicine, and that's just so true. You know, you can change your health by eating properly. You know, you don't mm. need medicine. It's it's so interesting. I know Dr. Michael Clapper always tells the story of when he was a, a surgical resident early in his career, a person was brought in for an emergency coronary bypass, and his last meal had been a cheeseburger, fries, and a shake at a fast food restaurant. And, and he said that quite literally, the, the stuff in the arteries was pretty much liquefied <laughs> cheeseburger, yeah. french fries, and, and shake. I, I can't even... Um, Imagine what it would be like to see that up close and personal, and I'm glad maybe I got the message without having to. Yeah. So your your book is really beautiful. I like Thank it you. because it's a, it's a different sized book. It, it's kind of the size of a piece of paper or a little bigger than that, and it's not great big and fat. Sometimes these days when I see a book that's really big and heavy, I just think, oh, too much. <laughs> so yours yeah. is very, very user-friendly. The answer is vegan. You can get that on Amazon. And I love that in the book you use the word vegan. You use phrases like ethical vegan and dietary vegan. Instead of falling back on plant-based, which I know a lot of our medical professionals opt to do, why did you go with vegan? Because I think it's, to me, vegan is not just what we're eating. To me, vegan is the whole lifestyle. I mean, um, I think that, I mean, I believe that eating a vegan diet is the proper way to live, but I think to me, vegan also encompasses, you know, your whole body, mind, spirit, soul. I think it also means, you know, you need to proper get proper sleep. You need to exercise, even though people are like, oh, exercise. But you have to do it. And meditation is real important for me. And, you know, like people that are first getting into this, you know, I try and do baby steps because sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. But if you just take a couple of minutes every morning um, and just do a little meditation, it doesn't have to be sitting in a corner saying, oh, you know, for me, I write. That's how I meditate. And I think you have to be grateful for what you have, not what you want, not, not what's in the future, but what you have today, presently. And obviously, you know, you can't smoke. So for me, it was the whole vegan lifestyle, not just eating vegan. And thank you for the compliments on my book. The, the reason I did that is because I've taken it into the colleges to teach people, so I wanted it to kind of be more like a textbook. I didn't want um, people to, you know, be afraid of a big old thick book like you talk about. And I wanted to make it easy so that it um, – I, I guess it was like coming and meeting you, Victoria, in New York. It was easy. Um, I mean, we learned so much, but the atmosphere was so relaxing. And 
um, it, I never felt overwhelmed there. I felt so grateful to be there and to be learning all of these wonderful methods and how easy it can be. And for me, I have to just take baby steps or I just get overwhelmed. And if I get overwhelmed, I just kind of shut down. So that was, um, that was my main focus on making the book simple, easy, and on incorporating the word vegan so that it means more than just eating plant-based. It's mm. the whole shebang. I really agree with you. And mine has been expanding lately into more of, of um, human rights and human dignity as well. And, and not that I didn't believe in human rights or human dignity before, but I think because my cause in life is more about animals, I hadn't paid as much attention and I recently watched a documentary called The True Cost, which is about um, fast fashion and, and what it takes to people in other parts of the world to provide the kinds of clothes that people now like to buy in great quantity. You know, we used to kind of shop in the spring and the fall, and now it's sort of like <laughs> all the time. And, and so that was a real eye-opener. And, and to me, that's part of my being vegan. If I want to be an ethical person, it's got to be across the board. So why do you think it is? As a health professional, I mean, obviously you're interested in human health, but it seems to me that we can't really have holistic health unless we're thinking of the whole picture, other people, the animals, the planet. Why do you think it's such a hard sell out there in the world to present a way of eating that has to do with anything other than just health and weight and making people think you're related to Martha Stewart? Right. I think it's fear-based. I think, you know, people, um, and it's a generalization, I don't mean it to be a generalization, but, you know, change is difficult. And I think that people are fearful of, um, you know, well, how do I do that? What am I going to do? You know, I think it, and so I think that it's just sometimes easier to just kind of keep going down that same path and not deviate and, you know, oh, I don't really want to try that or, you know, well, I heard that tastes weird and like um, certain friends of mine that, you know, they, they come to my home and my husband, John, and I give, you know, dinner parties and, you know, of course it's a vegan meal and they're, you know, they know it's going to be that, but, you know, they'll say, oh, please don't serve tofu, you know, because they, <laughs> they have this weird thing in their mind, you know, and I, I tell them, you know, my tofu's delicious, you know, you're not even going to know, oh, but please don't make that, Carol, you know. <laughs> I, so I think... I think it's the unknowing, and it's tough to get people to change, but um, I do think the world is changing. I mean, I really think that people are becoming more aware of human rights, animal rights, and they're, they're getting tapped on the shoulder. They're, they're starting to wake up a little bit, and, you know, you've got to question yourself, you know, is this right, and... You know, with cruelty to animals and humans, it's it's not right. And I think that people are starting to take notice a little bit more. At least I, I like to think that they are. Well, I love it, and I love it that you are helping them take notice. The book is The Answer is Vegan by Carol Simmerant. That's C-Y-M-E-R-I-N-T. 
T. She is an RN, and she's a vegan lifestyle coach and educator, and she's all sorts of other remarkable things, and she shares so much of this in the book, um, as well as some really, really wonderful recipes. So far, I have tried the butternut squash soup, which is yummy, 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 and the garlic noodles, because I like anything called a noodle. It's a great word and really yummy. Thank you for being on the show today, Carol, and thanks for all you're doing in the world. Thank you so much, Victoria. And once again, I'm so grateful that I met you. Oh. And Main Street Vegan Academy changed my life. I, oh, I'm bless forever you. grateful to you. Thank you so very much. You'll have to come back and visit, and we'll uh, hit some of those field trip spots over again. I, <laughs> Thank you, we Carol. Will, we will. Thank and you so every- much, Victoria. Thanks for having me on your program. You're so welcome. And listeners, please stay with us because after this message, we're going to be back with Sean Monson and Unity. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. 
Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. It's really fun today because instead of looking at Jeff, our regular engineer, whom we have every week, and he always does a splendid job, I'm looking at the big boss out there at Unity Online Radio. Jeremiah Samborski is running the board today, learning how to do everybody's job, which I guess is something that people like Warren Buffett uh, all know how to do because that's what you do when you're at the top. So thanks, Jeremiah. Thanks for taking care of everything. And shout out to Jeff, as usual, and to Unity Online Radio for hosting the Main Street Vegan program every week. We are now in our fourth amazing year. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and to each and every one of you. Yesterday was quite a day for me. At noon, I went to see an amazing new documentary called Unity. This is the latest brain child of labor of love of Sean Monson, who is also the director and filmmaker of Earthlings, probably the one work in modern times that has made more vegans than any other. And I say that as someone who travels around the country doing lectures and book tours, and I'll say to people, what made you vegan? And more people say Earthlings than anything else. Also in the running uh, are Forks Over Knives and Skinny Bitch. But Earthlings seems to be the one. And now Sean Monson has, has done it again with Unity. This is an incredible film about humanity's hopeful transformation from living by killing into living by loving. So it has animal issues. It also has human-to-human issues. It also has oneself-to-oneself issues in, in a spiritual way. So I was very moved by the film. And then last night, my husband and my stepdaughter and I went to see Amazing Grace on Broadway. Lovely, lovely musical about the creation of that hymn, which was written back in the 1700s by a man who had been a slaver, When the words to that hymn say, saved a wretch like me, he wasn't kidding. He did horrible, horrible things in his life, but he had this turnaround. He had a spiritual experience. He became an abolitionist fighting against slavery for the rest of his life. And then seeing what had happened so long ago, juxtaposed with what is still happening, have just put me in a really interesting frame of mind to be talking today with Sean Monson and with you if you want to give a call 888-558-6489. Sean Monson has also done the movie Holy War Unholy Victory which focused on the rise of the Taliban after September 11th. He founded Nation Earth in 2001 as a means to produce educational and enlightening films and other media. And Unity, the new movie, is going to be one of those Fathom events on August 12th all over this country and in other countries. And you can go to unitythemovement.com to learn about that. Welcome, Sean Monson. Thank you, Victoria. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it is a pleasure to have you. It was a pleasure to be in that theater yesterday Oh, my goodness. So where did the idea for Unity come from? You know, I was, I had this weird thought about why we as humans 
have taken such tremendous strides and credible advancements throughout our evolution. Uh, and you can go all the way back to the wheel, to uh, early agriculture, to the pyramids, to the cathedrals that we've built, to the symphonies that have been written, the poetry, the literature, the science, the incredible technology. And um, it's just, it's, it's a marvel. It's incredible. And yet, in the same breath, this constant sort of savage, primal view of life, we, ha- we can't seem to unshackle ourselves from it. And it struck me that it wouldn't, that peace on earth, if you will, would not come from something we invent. It won't be the iPhone 20. It won't be anything remarkable that we come up with. It seems to me that something has to awaken within that is that that we have the capacity for, but for some reason it is encrusted or dormant for whatever reason. And that was the initial spark for unity. Now that initial spark came to you quite some time ago. This film has been a long time in the making. Tell us about the process. Well, I finished uh, Earthlings in 2005, and I had the text, the script for Unity, ready in 2007. Uh, it initially initially started as a mini-series. Since you've seen the film, you know it's presented in chapters. There's five chapters in the film, which are intended to represent the uh, really the totality of, of mortal existence. It covers everything, mind, body, heart, soul. And then there's one other chapter, the cosmic chapter, which sort of represents the field with which everything uh, takes place. Uh, originally, there were six chapters, and these were each supposed to be episodes of a six-part miniseries. And that, uh, so I wrote a miniseries for it, and it came down to funding. Uh, truth be told, I couldn't raise enough to make a six-hour movie, but we raised enough to make a 98, you know, 99-minute movie. So each episode, 44, 45-minute episode, let's say, was cut down to a 14 or a 15-minute chapter. And that took um, a long time to consolidate it. And then, of course, the idea of multiple narrators, which I thought was such a brilliant idea at the time. And then about halfway through, I thought, oh, man, this is going to take a long time to record all these people (laughs) and weave these voices together. But it took four years to record uh, the hundred voices in the film. And then another two years almost to edit those voices together. Now, I did have a cut ready in 2012 that we were going to go out with, and it was completed. But it was a little uh, stronger, a little harder of a cut, and we tested it several times and felt that I needed to um, soften it a little. And if I may just touch on that a, a moment, that was very challenging because the documentary genre is the, is the nonfiction film. It is the nonfiction film by way of its genre. So to cut it down or shorten it or remove stuff out of it that's too heavy felt to me like taking truth out of it as a, in a nonfiction film, taking truth out. Um, but, you know, um, we speak to be understood. So, you, you know, there's no point trying to teach a, a fourth grader calculus trigonometry. You, you maybe tone it back a little and start a, a little slower. To me, the message of the, of the film couldn't be simpler 
it, it's 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 really the golden rule to be kind to everything. That's unity right there in one sentence. But no matter how far we've evolved, we can't seem to grasp that still. So mm-hmm. we took we took the time to to to, ex- to explain that to everybody and shine a light on these contrasts that we can't seem to get beyond yet. Well, you do it beautifully, and so do your narrators. I mean, everybody is talking in this movie. We've got self-help people. You have Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson. You have well-known vegans like Emily Deschanel and Ellen DeGeneres and Portia de Rossi and Russell Simmons. And then you have incredible actors, Susan Sarandon, and um, Helen Mirren and Jeffrey Rush and, and Ben Kingsley. I mean, it is absolutely stunning. So when you sent them the script, what did they say? Well, we didn't send them all the script. That was the funny thing. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm mean, i no Woody Allen. You know, apparently Woody Allen movies are sort of shrouded in mystery when they're being made, and I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. But, but because they all were contributing and lending their voices to the film, um, I went through and would select two pages of dialogue for each narrator, about two pages. And that would be based on, I'd do a little bit of research on them if they showed some interest in, in doing the film when we requested them. I'd look up to see any sort of philanthropic or altruistic uh, uh, interest they may have had, and I would look at the script and just kind of say, oh, I think, I think, uh, think Marion Cotillard, I think this dialogue would be, would be good for her and her voice. And then we'd send the two pages over, and, and if they approved, we'd, We'd sit down and only read those those two pages. So the idea was to to make it efficient for uh, the talent, so they could record it in a half an hour if they wanted and, and make time for it. And sometimes they were very quick, and sometimes the dialogue would lend to uh, a conversation after about the mystery of existence, and we'd, you know we'd, we'd start chatting. But um, all of them only were asked to read their two pages. Has anybody gotten back to you and said, "I didn't know it was going to have this animal rights message"? Um, no, I mean, we yeah. showed it to you. All, all of the cast has, has been given the film. Um, uh. And, um, um, you know, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of the film, as you know, yes. you probably saw yes. it. It was right at the front, and that was just to let uh, everyone know that if there's any errors in the film or any uh, biases that they're my own weakness or my own fault, and that these actors were kind enough to, because they believed in the spirit of unity, they, uh, we're humans and we tend to sort of, uh, take positions on so many things and have opinions mm. on things. So I just I just put that up front so that they didn't feel um, that, that I was branding or labeling them something that I had that they hadn't written that I had written. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, I just want to say one other thing about that. It, it'd be interesting if the animal thing comes up. There's only 14 minutes of animal footage in the entire film. This is a 99 minute film. That means you have what about 85 minutes of other content that, that the film addresses. So it is hardly an animal rights film. In fact, we have far more human on human violence in the film than we do animal. But the thing is, we're so accustomed to human violence that we don't uh, notice it as much. So um, the animal violence is a fraction of it in the film. And I'm actually glad that it still uh, rattles people a little bit. I think it speaks well of us that we, uh, when we see animal suffering, we're not completely callous that we don't react and feel something when we see it. And that's why the opening shot is, is what it is, as you know. It's to get people instantly out of a human compassion scenario, but to have a compassion that completely crosses species lines 
and you find yourself caring for a completely different being in the first two minutes of the picture. Yes, that was especially powerful for me, Sean. It's it's a, a some cows going to be slaughtered, and and you know you, you don't see everything. It's not full and gruesome. Right. I don't want to get you to not go see the film, but you see them right. standing there in the line. And Wait. I spent a day in a slaughterhouse, and this place where these cows were standing could have been that slaughterhouse. I know it wasn't. Mine was in southern Missouri, and you know I'm sure you were somewhere else. But yeah. the it, it's interesting that every McDonald's is alike, and just about every slaughterhouse. I know we've got you know the um, who's the woman that designs better slaughterhouses? Uh, uh, Graydon, uh, I'm sorry, right. Temple. Uh, Temple Grandin, right? So maybe those are different, but generally. What you showed is what happens, and it, it, it really took me back in an extremely powerful way. I have to say it seemed like more than 14 minutes of animals just because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> that does so touch the heart. My, my husband and I are working on a, a feature film, a, a fictional film about a cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse. We have a wonderful mm-hmm. production company who loved the film, but they were very new to this whole world before they read our movie. And um, someone who actually was involved with with Unity, Nathan Runkle of Mercy for Animals, had offered some some slaughterhouse footage and and that sort of thing to us. And when I told our producers that, you know, one of them said, well, just, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean footage? Send me some footage. So I just sent her some footage. And the idea that somebody can live to be, you know, 35, 40 years old and never have seen this before. And her responding email just said, I don't think I want to be a human anymore. So mm-hmm. it's, it's powerful, powerful stuff. You know, it's a, it's a testament really to the, um, well, I don't want to say marketing brilliance. Some might say a deviant brilliance in a way, but it's a testament to an industry that has so effectively hidden uh, the process. And in this country, there's been much debate over laws forbidding those processes to be even shown, as you as you know, for these ag gag laws. But they've done such an effective job of it that um, that it's. It's shockingly new to people that this is what transpires, even though they may eat animals three times a day. That's that's incredible marketing in the last hundred plus years or so to remove it so far from the plate, so so far from the plate, the animal that we've all almost forgotten that animals are being slaughtered. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. So it is. It's sort of this. It's sort of what we call traumatic knowledge. Um, I heard that term when I was working on Earthlings, and we'd have to look at all this footage, and, and they'd say it's traumatic knowledge or radical truth, uh, radical truth. But, again, we're in the, the genre of the nonfiction film, and so we, uh, you know, I always say, why, you know, why, um, uh, why must we uh, refuse with our eyes what they must endure with their bodies, which was a famous quote, uh, question why I used to say from the Humane Society many years ago. So we don't have to physically go through it, but we seem to feel politically correct in saying, don't show it to me either, and we get pushback for it. But uh, I think a little bit of it here and there is, is healthy. There was talk about removing all animal footage from Unity by my um, my colleagues. And I said, well, um, guys, you know, 
this is an entire kingdom of beings that are drastically affected by humankind. We can't leave them out. But I had to work really hard to keep that opening shot and, and, and just the 14 minutes that are in the film. Yeah. So. Well, you did such a beautiful job. And I think for me watching the film, whether you were showing animals or whether you were showing people, it kept reiterating this idea that you would say about humans, non-human animals, and trees. You also included yeah. not the right. same but equal. But equal. What a powerful message. And we will be back with more of Sean Monson and Unity, unitythemovement.com, right after this. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am here with Sean Monson, who is the filmmaker for Unity. So do check out the film, see the trailer, and get your tickets for August 12th, 2015, when it's going to be shown in 1000 cinemas around the world at unitythemovement.com. So, Sean, is there somebody that you're envisioning as your target audience? I was thinking yesterday as I watched, how would I be responding if these ideas were brand new to me? So talk about that person. Right. I didn't have a target audience initially, um, in the spirit of unity, you might say. The hope would be the film could be seen by young or old, male or female. I sometimes call that a four-quadrant movie, young, old, male, female. And um, there may be some youth uh, that the parental discretion should decide what they uh, should or shouldn't see. But um, no, the idea is that if you heard about it, if you somehow heard about a film called Unity, then then you you were supposed to see it. And if you're not ready for it, you'll probably never even hear about it. You'll be in a completely different consciousness. Oh, that's a very interesting attitude, and I know that you have as your final chapter in the film. You talk about spirituality, not in a religious sense or in an everybody-has-to-see-it-the-same-way sense at all, and yet you do acknowledge the spiritual side of life. And I have to say that sometimes I see that less in, in the vegan movement than I do in, in some other places. So tell me about your spiritual life. Well, 
you know, I don't have any religion, um, but um, I'm deeply interested in spirituality because there are, uh, to me, there's tremendous evidence of spirituality, or at least the possibility of it, that requires no uh, religious fortification or religious historicity at all. Um, I, mean, I mean, you have to ask yourself, you know, um, if we are nothing but a mind and a body, if we are nothing but a mind and a body, uh, that would mean we're essentially biological organisms. And uh, the first function of any pr uh, biological organism is survival. That's the primary function of a, of a biological organism if it's nothing more than a biological organism. Therefore, if a mother dashes into the street to save her child from an oncoming car or a soldier runs into what may be certain death to defend another soldier, if we are nothing but biological organisms, they are violating the laws of the universe. What is this emotion of compassion? Compassion seems to have nothing to do with biology. Where does it come from? Is compassion the first law of the spirit? If survival is the first law of biology? You know, there are other things. Um, if we're just five senses, then um, where does love come from? It doesn't seem to be one of the five senses. Where does the touch of inspiration come from? Not one of the five senses. We dream at night. Our dreams are fantastic, fragmentary, symbolic. Uh, we're not in control of our mind and body while we're sleeping. That's a third of our life. Where does it come from? Um, there just seems to be so many indicators that we are more than mere uh, protoplasm and uh, more than mere physical existence. And so I was deeply interested in uh, my own spirituality, and I thought, who, who, who was I eight days before my conception? Um, you know, when I was little, someone kept saying, Sean, Sean. Sean, and, and somehow in my little brain, after a while, I guess I deduced, I think they're referring to me when they <laughs> say that word. So clearly I'm not Sean. That was something that was taught to me or told to me. So if a person's willing to kind of look at this stuff a little bit, they needn't be frightened of it, or they don't have to go into any orthodoxy, but there's certainly a, certainly a spiritual component to it. And I guess that's where it started for me. Oh, I love that. I love that. The, the yogis talk about asking yourself over and over, who am I? Who am I? And when you get right. past, you know, the gender and the nationality and all the rest. The identities, to, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So you, I remember now the story that, that you told yesterday in, in, well, you told several in, in the Skype Q&A that was so great. But you talked about a mother dinosaur. Do you remember what you said? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just was, you know, again, I... I I can't back this up with science or anything. It could be nothing but a theory, but it's worth it's worth considering. It's a logical, reasonable question to ask. Uh, I don't know what the consciousness level of a dinosaur may have been. I know that the the that states of human consciousness have evolved over time. I think yesterday I mentioned something about how 2,000 years ago in Rome, they punished people by method of crucifixion, which you don't even have to read about in the Bible. You can read about it in Roman history. So they used to crucify people. Well, we don't crucify people any, uh, anymore. Um, so we are evolving beyond slavery, beyond uh, women not having the right to vote. Right now with equal rights, you know, uh, in gay marriage, we are evolving. The state of consciousness are evolving. So the question is, did other beings evolve? Dinosaurs seem to me to 
probably been quite uh, rapacious, uh, reptilian, perhaps uh, savage, vicious, self-serving beings and that had no other interest. Uh, The dinosaur would lay, mother dinosaur would lay her eggs and and leave, you know, and it's, it's like good luck. Good luck to you little guys and that's it. And at some point, at some point, uh, a mother dinosaur laid her eggs and stayed and nursed them until they were born and protected them after they were born, perhaps for who knows how long. And I, I, I would imagine that was the planet's first act of love that this Earth ever saw. So the, the reason I stress that is because there seems to be a capacity within us as beings, a range of understanding. And the question is, are we only primal savage, vicious beings, or do we have this capacity to evolve? And we touch on in the film with this notion of homo spiritus, going from a homo sapien up through the Cro-Magnum, the Neanderthal, and higher and higher into this idea of the highest levels of consciousness achievable in physical form. Nothing, no, it doesn't have to be a prophet, a guru, it doesn't have to be a saint or, or, or a messiah. It, it could just be humans evolving. A great example is Hitler and Gandhi, two contemporaries in the last century. What a perfect example of the human capacity for compassion or consciousness. So it exists. I know it does. And it's not a religious teaching that tells me that. I can just see it right there looking at history. Oh, that's lovely. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, you said the word saint, and so you reminded me of one that I know, and I do want to put a word in for her. Her name is Ilsa Singer, and she's one of these people who does hands-on animal rescue. And I really do think that those people are are modern saints walking around, and she is trying to save three little kitties. Now, I know there are billions of animals and millions of people suffering right this minute, but you know, sometimes if you can save somebody that you can actually see, it's a good thing. So these little girls are bonded sisters, and they have been living in a vacant lot in Harlem. Their mother was killed, but they've been doing fine. They're not tame, but they'll let Ilsa come and feed them, and they've been spayed and all those things. But now that lot is going to be turned into a construction zone. So the Kitty sisters need a place to go, and Ilsa has found for them a wonderful rural sanctuary. And you know, sometimes these sanctuaries really aren't. They're like hoarders and people who maybe mean well but are ill. And so to find a really good one can be tough, but she's found this wonderful place called Feral Souls, and they do have a $1,000 per kitty entrance fee, which sounded very expensive to me until I realized that the last time I took my dog to the vet, it was six fifty. So the idea of committing to take these, these guys for life, it doesn't seem like all that much. So if anybody wants to help the Harlem kitties, you can go to tinyurl.com slash kitty sisters. And that's all tax deductible. And you know, so are contributions to Unity Online Radio. So there are lots of good things to do in the world with your money, but There's a couple, and thanks for letting me ask. So, Sean, let me ask you a kind of devil's advocate question. You talk a lot in the film about war, and you really do a brilliant job of showing the absurdity of war. One of the most powerful parts, I thought, was when you showed all these armies marching. Right now, today, 
he showed the U.S. and India and North Korea and Germany. And I mean, just everybody's got one. And so on the one hand, I see that. But on the other hand, I see all these people with really great love and, and caring, you know, about support our troops and things like that. So how do you think that that part of your film is going to play to that audience? Well, um, it's a very good question uh, because the film has no intention of um, of deriding any uh, profession, least of all um, those who fight to protect their homes. Um, I suppose that the the broader aspect of that sequence is humanity's tendency to militarize is what it's trying to emphasize. Like you said, an army, everybody's got one, so to speak. And sometimes there is even a zeal for that sort of, uh, you know, how big is our military? How large is our arsenal? How powerful are our weapons? And um, this is destructive. Um, So it's not so much about defending one's home, but about this mm, ego need, this very modern-day uh, ego version of the same primal view of life. Who is the king of the hill? Who is the top of the heap? Who is the alpha male, the alpha female? And all of this at its base has to do with separation, separateness, separate selves, separate existence, and um, among, among a spectrum of life on the same spot, the earth. That's why the title Earthings was used for the last film, because it's a word that you cannot separate. Whether you're talking about a a worm in the mud or the Queen of England, they're both earthlings. No ego can fragment that term. It encompasses all. And unity was chosen as a title for the same reason. The idea is to get past this notion of separate existence. We know, we say in the movie, that life is expressed in multitudinous ways, in multitudinous ways, and we show empathy and compassion for some expressions of life while in the same breath an attitude of aggression toward other expressions of life. Uh, But all are part of the spectrum of life. So this is what we call separation based on form separation based on form and we see it mirrored in human society that's what racism was that's what sexism is some form of separation and that's why the film's tagline is not the same but equal we have to get beyond this separateness that's the variety it could be possibly victoria the purpose of life to be Mm. sent to a place if you will to have such a variety and to have it have no effect on you whatsoever because you don't see the different shapes, colors, sizes. You don't see it. But we're still getting there. We are. You know, it's so interesting, Sean, when my daughter, who's raised vegan and, you know, as enlightened as I could do at the time, um, came home from, from school one day, one day. She was in a Montessori preschool, actually, at the Unity Church in Kansas City. And she was describing one of her teachers and, and I was saying, well, which teacher? And she said, the one in the yellow dress, you know, the one with the pretty voice. And she kept describing, describing, and I wasn't sure which teacher she met. And then when I took her to school the next day, she said, that teacher who happened to be African-American. Now, in my generation, had I gone to school and my mother said, which teacher? I would have said the black lady. 
because right. that degree right. of differentness at that time was just the descriptor. And I was overjoyed mm-hmm. that in my daughter's life, that didn't even show, but the yellow dress did. Yeah, the millennial children don't seem to see it as much. I've asked my daughter the same thing. I've said, uh, oh, how many African-Americans are you? She says, well, uh, wait, I, she's like, I, I have to think about it. Like, I don't uh, even see them. That was said. She said, I don't even see them. Like, what? I don't, she doesn't see it, you know, the way we used to. So that, again, shows that growth, that capacity for growth. That is absolutely wonderful. We have a caller, Sean, in our last couple of minutes here. Thomas, okay. are you on the line? Hey, Victoria. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you beautifully. How you doing? Good, thank you. Do you awesome. have a question for Sean? I do. I, I First, I want to say, Sean, I love your work, and it's been inspirational to me. And uh, I'm actually working on a documentary about unity and or about uh, spiritualism and veganism. And I just wondered if you had any advice for people who are, you know, once you get your documentary shot or you're working on a documentary, re- avenues we might pursue in order to get the word out. Right. Well, they always say that a film is born three times, uh, which is usually the writing, the shooting, and the editing. But uh, the truth is it's, it's really born four times because the fourth time is the marketing and the distribution, which is which is where it's born in the court of public opinion, if you will. Uh, it, it, we, took, we finished Unity in August of last year. It took a whole year. To the film was delivered, you know, in 2014, all done, and it took a year to get the distribution agreement and and the theaters, the exhibitors, to get behind it. Um, don't don't stop, don't give up. Uh, if you get told no 25 times, 50 times, just just do not stop, and uh, and it will get out there. That's all I can say. <laughs> don't give up. Awesome. I'm so looking forward to seeing Unity next week. It's been on my list radar for the last few years, and I've been waiting for it to come out. So thank you so much for your work, and, and you as well, Victoria. Both of you are big inspirations to me and, and to the vegan movement, and I just appreciate you both so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Thomas. And we're looking for your film as well. And somebody else, Sean, I want to give a shout-out to is Nick Tyler, who was instrumental uh-huh. in working with you on, on the makings of, of Unity. And he's yes. he's put together introductions for guests for this show. He's just a great guy out there in L.A. Right. practicing right. ahimsa every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 seconds in closing. Well, um, again, all I would say is uh, to the world, uh, not the same but equal. If we could get that simple point across, it would be a completely different planet. That is Not a the same, magnificent idea. Not the same, but equal unity, unitythemovement.com. Remember Carol Simmerant's book, The Answer is Vegan. Next week, we're going to be talking about the sweetest little book, Letters to a New Vegan, followed by someone you have asked for, Gary Francione the spiritual and temporal leader of the abolitionist movement for animal rights. Please join us. And in the meantime, God bless you and eat your veggies. 
Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central. 1 p.m. Eastern on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. If I were brave, I'd walk the races where fools and dreamers dare to and never lose faith. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream?
Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.